this morning. We are continuing on our journey through the book of Romans, and, and Dave Worth was with us the last couple of weeks to lead us through the fifth chapter, and today we will be turning toward the sixth. And then we'll be taking a, a break for a little bit. It's kind of wild to think, but um, Lent starts Wednesday. Feels like the year just started. I know that, but Lent starts Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. We'll be having the service here at seven o'clock. Join us for that. We'd invite you to join us for that. Um, but we'll be taking a break from Romans during Lent, and then we'll be picking back up with Romans later. Um, as a general guide, the first five chapters of Romans, they they are about what what God has done for us in and through the gospel. This is where we've been over the last uh, few weeks. Paul starts the letter by focusing on, on how the gospel actually works. He lays out the basics, that we've all sinned, that we've all been separated from God, and the only way that we're justified, the only way that we're redeemed, the only way that we are atoned for is because of what Christ has done for us. We're made righteous not because of anything we've done on our own, but because of what God has done for us. Then in chapters 6 through 8, we we turn to what God does in us, in us through the gospel. It's all about what we experience, how we experience the gospel on our day to, in our day-to-day lives. And this is where we will be, um, where we're going to be today. And the last half of the letter is really uh, how we respond, what we are called to do with that gospel message. So Paul, he, he launches into this middle section reminding us that Jesus didn't come just to make us better people. The gospel isn't a message that's just connected to a self-help guide. It's not about becoming Dave Rohde 2.0. It's about a, a new identity, a completely remade new identity. It's what Paul gets at later in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says that the old has gone and the new has come, that we are all a new creation in Christ. So here at the beginning of Romans 6, he suggests we can kind of discover our, our resurrected identity by answering four questions. The, the first question, how does a gospel-defined identity really look? What does it look like to be defined by the gospel? What exactly changes about who we are when we live into that identity? How do we experience, we experience that change and, and how do we live it out? So starting at the beginning of chapter 6, we read this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most of us, I'm assuming, have seen or read Alice in Wonderland, yes? All of your hands should be, be going up right now. We can, we, can react, we can interact with one another. I'm hoping all of us have read or, or seen Alice in Wonderland. One of my, my favorite scenes, one of my, my favorite images of the entire story, really in, in all of literature and also in, in cinema, is, is that line when Alice runs into the caterpillar and he puffs and he says, Who... Are you? Who are you? And Alice kind of stumbles along and she says, I, 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 I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least I know who I was when I got up this morning. But I might have been changed several times since then. And the caterpillar quips, What do you mean? Explain yourself. And Alice says, I can't explain it. I can't explain myself, sir. I'm afraid, sir, because I'm not myself, you see. I think it's fairly clear that Alice is having an identity crisis of sorts. So much had happened in her day up to that point. That everything she knew about herself and about the world around her had been turned upside down. Everything was different for her. Now, I'm not sure if there's a a better parable for the world in which we live today. If you look at two years ago, life looked totally different than it does today. Our world's turned. Who are we? It's a question we've been asking in the church world for quite a while, too. Who, Who are we in the church? Everything around us has changed and everything around us continues to change. And kind of like Alice, we find ourselves struggling to find an answer. To give a solid identity of this is who we are and this is what we believe in. The church, it doesn't look the way that it once did. Culture seems foreign and we often find ourselves trying to answer questions that we're just not equipped to answer. At its core, we're having an identity crisis. We're struggling with what it looks like to be in Christ. We're struggling with what it looks like to live out our faith in a rapidly changing world. What is our identity? The Christians in Rome, they were asking the same types of questions who were they? What, what did they believe? How did they live out what they believed? I believe a lot of what Paul writes in Romans is he himself asking those questions. What do I do with this? How do I live this out on a daily basis? There was confusion in Rome about what was going on around, in, inside the church, also around the church. And, and there was uncertainty about what was next. 
They couldn't quite figure out who they were, and they had questions about what it meant to follow Jesus in the midst of the chaos. So Paul approaches the identity crisis with, with, with these four questions, starting with how does their identity look? How does this identity in Christ look? And before he gets into the details of how it looks, he, he paints a picture using baptism as an illustration. He says, all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. And in our, baptize, in our baptism, we were buried with him so that we can be brought to new life. Now, the, the image that Paul paints here is a little bit different than what we see when we have baptisms here on Sunday morning where there's, there's a, a bowl of water, right? And we just use a little bit of water, right? Where it's just kind of sprinkling and, and patting on. The, the, the image that Paul is painting here uh, is, is the image of, of immersion, the act of lowering someone all the way underwater and, and bringing them out of the water. Now, that's not to say what we do here on, on, on Sunday morning is, is invalid or doesn't count as baptism. I know there's a bunch of rage in the world going on right now about what valid baptism is and invalid baptism is. Um, that's not to say what we do here isn't, in, isn't valid. It, it completely is. Both types of, of baptism, they, they say something about what we believe. I was baptized as an infant. My kids were baptized as an infant, and in infant baptism, our, our church communities celebrate the reality that God moves in our lives before we have the ability to respond. We, we are claiming God's sovereignty over the world, that God is moving in our lives before we are able to respond. That's infant baptism. But Haley, my, my wife, she was baptized in high school as an, as an adult, and in her baptism, instead of the emphasis being placed on, on God's sovereignty, God's extending grace in that God's sovereignty before we could respond, it's placed on that new beginning. Into the water. She was in the Pacific Ocean, into the cold water, and then out of the water. It was a new beginning. When our identity is in Christ, regardless of when we're baptized or how we're baptized, we live in the reality that we have joined him in his death and in his life. Haley's best friend from college lives in England. And um, I remember being super excited to go and visit her the, the first time that we went to, to visit her and her, uh, their family in, in England. Uh, it was before we had kids. Yes, I was excited to see see her friends, but I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I was really excited to go and visit all of the C.S. Lewis places and the J.R.R. Tolkien places. So we had fish and chips at the pub where Lewis, Tolkien, and the other Inklings sat around and talked about their writings. We, we visited C.S. Lewis's church in, in his grave, and then we went to his house and got lost in his backyard, just kind of wandering around the backyard where he walked every day and dreamt up Narnia. Being at the house and in the yard, it was really easy to see how his imagination could just run wild. Now, when Lewis talks about resurrected identity in, in mere Christianity, he uses the imagery of a house. And it echoes a lot of what Paul writes here. He writes, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. 
At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the, the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally. I can't say that word, abdominally. It does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is rebuilding quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in that palace himself. So the the first question about the experience of our new identity, of, of how it looks, that the second question has to do with what exactly happens with that new identity? What, what shift occurs? Paul writes, For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Our identity is changed as we are freed from the slavery or from serving sin. We are no longer servants of our sinful nature. In the redemption language that we, we talked about a few weeks ago, we, we are, are purchased, we are set free from the sin that consumes us, that, that owns us. Now some of us wrestle with this idea. And we, we, we might agree that, that all sin is, is wrong and that people are, are, aren't you know, necessarily enslaved to it. We wouldn't use that, that word, but, but people sometimes do bad things. And th- that's other people. We, we, we just want to kind of place ourselves in a different category. We think, you know, I'm, I'm not really that bad. I mean, sure, I've got a couple flaws, but a slave to sin? And here, Paul, I think, is reflecting on, on the message that, that Jesus brings. And, and Jesus says, hey, it's different. Jesus tells us something different. While, while he's talking with a group of, of Jewish leaders in John at chapter 8, he says, they're asking questions and they're saying, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We, we, aren't, we aren't slaves to, to anyone. We're, we're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins, even just a little bit, even just a little bit is a slave to sin. But when we talk about this resurrected identity, the old self, the old self, the, the one that is a servant to that sinful nature, it, it dies. Now, that's not to say that we don't struggle because we do. But those thoughts, addictions, hurts, they no longer define us. They no longer define our identity. And the third question, it, it answers the question of, of how, uh, how does a person experience this new identity? Verse 5 gives us the answer. It, it reads, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Certainty. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly, certainly, 
promise of assurance. Be united, united. If we're going to participate in a death like Jesus, we're also promised a resurrection like his. Now, in my mind, Roman chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, gives a, a pretty good summary of what resurrected identity looks like and, and how it, it connects with the gospel message. We were created by a God who loves us. In our sin, we're, we're not only, we, not, we not only separate ourselves from that creator God, but we become servants to something else. We run from God and we, we seek fulfillment elsewhere. That's that enslavement to that sinful identity. But God continues to pursue after us, running after us, waving his hand, saying, wait, I love you. God doesn't let us run without a fight. And Jesus jumps ahead of us as we're, we're running, while we're running, and he takes on the consequence of our sin that we are running toward. And the whole reason is so that we can have this, this life, this, this renewed identity. The identity that we should have had in the first place. There's a saying out of the South from the early 1900s. Some of you, you may know it. Usually attributed to Joe Lewis, the boxer. Any Joe Lewis fans? Joe Lewis, the boxer, or to a jazz musician named Tom Delaney. Do you know Tom Delaney? You know that guy? So I don't either. It's okay. Um, but the saying many of us have probably heard, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. If we want to be united with Christ in the certainty of resurrection, if we want to experience the identity that Paul is writing about, we need to allow our old self, that identity of being identified, I should say, with being a slave to sin, we need to allow it to die. But for Paul, resurrected identity is not just about what's coming. It's not just about the, the future. It's also about how we live today. It's what's in the rest of Romans 6 and all of, of Romans 7 as Paul wrestles with how it looks in his own life, what resurrected identity means in the present, in the here and now. I wish we had time to get into it this morning, but it's where he writes that that line, I I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do or what I know I should be doing. He struggled with his faith. It's okay to struggle with your faith. He struggled with his faith and what it meant for how he was living in the here and now. He doesn't say you become perfect the moment you decide to follow Jesus. That's not what he says. But he does say that our identity changes. And it impacts how we live today. I remember when I I realized what it meant to have that resurrected identity or to to live into that resurrected identity. And I've shared this this story before. Some of you have heard it. I I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up sitting in the back and complaining about sitting in the back of of church. Um, When I had to sit in the front, I'd complain about the sweaters that my mom made me wear because I couldn't breathe when I was wearing those tight, woolly sweaters in church. I grew up in the church. Baptized as an infant, as I said. 
I learned how to go through the motions of church. Then, as a 17-year-old, I was invited to a camp, oddly enough, called Westminster Woods, to be a counselor for middle school kids. I don't know what folks were thinking, saying, hey, you're 17, you should go be a counselor for 12, 13, and 14-year-olds. But that's, that's what happened. And as I carried an 11-year-old boy up a mountain on my back, something, something hit me. Something hit me that following Jesus wasn't just about saying the right prayers, knowing the right words, or, or even claiming a belief. Following Jesus meant changing the way that I, I lived in the present. It meant, among other things, letting go of the need to perform or to please someone else, to earn my place in the world. It meant working to let go of the guilt that I carried, and quite honestly, some of the guilt that I picked up in church, to let go of that guilt. It meant that God loved me. And that every day I was called to respond to that love, to share it with others. It meant committing to the journey of ongoing transformation, of becoming that, or living into that that new identity that Paul writes about. Some of you this morning might be where I was then, where you're just going through the motions. You've been doing this church thing for a while, and you, you get it. You've just been, it's what you do. And if that's you, you might need to surrender and let some things die to live into that resurrected identity. And some of us might be in a place where we have accepted that identity, but we don't really let us let it impact us on, on the day to day. We say, yeah, we, we know, we know that identity, we accept it, but we, we don't really let it impact us at work or at school. It's, it's just what we do when we're, we're here at church. And if that's you, you also have some things to surrender. And others of us might just need to remember of who might just need a reminder, I should say, of, of who we are in Christ. To be reassured that we are loved and that we have a new identity. Let's pray. Gracious God, wherever we sit this morning, Lord, we ask that you would remind us that we are loved. God, that we are given a, a new identity in you. And Lord, that we have an incredible opportunity to be a part of what you are doing in the world today as we live into that identity. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.